Hello, everybody. Welcome to Outspoken. My name is Justin White, and I will be your host. Um, I've had a rough couple weeks. I don't know about you all. Uh, I think that some aspects of our situation have sunken in a little deeper and landed on some soft, squishy parts, and it kind of hurts. And there have been some more uh, individualized, personalized pains recently to add to the pile. So um, I'm not complaining, but I am saying that I've uh, been feeling mighty low and last couple of weeks were tough to get through. And I, my heart goes out to everybody else who's feeling stress and sadness and everything else these days. Um, it's not fun, but there's some learning happening there. If you're able to get past the, um, self-criticism and occasional self-loathing. Um, so yeah, but there've been some good things happening too. Life is funny that way. Um, I'm not going to list them, but I am going to say that I've really enjoyed uh, not driving. I drive way too much in my so-called normal life. So it's been really great to not be out in the car all the time. And I can see my stress uh, diminishing as a result of it. I've also really enjoyed spending so much time with my cats. And I know they have enjoyed it too. They're going to flip out when it's time for me to go back to work. Uh, but right now we're loving each other's company and I'm trying to remind myself of how nice it is to just hang out and be with our beloved animal friends. And there have been some other positives as well. Um, I'll wait till the end and express some gratitude there. But, uh, my guest today is my dear auntie, my aunt Val. Some people say aunt, I say aunt how I was trained to say it. So I ain't stopping now. Uh, this is my snazzy Auntie Val. And um, before we talk to her, let's listen to my grandfather's jigsaw starting up for the first time in probably 35 or 40 or 45 years. And then we'll talk to Val. Feeling ready? Yeah, I don't have any idea what we'll talk about, which is very exciting. I know, I like that too. We didn't actually, I mean, I guess we had, we, you'd mentioned the Enneagram if you wanted to get into that. We can talk about whatever you would like to talk about. Okay. What would you like to talk about? Oh, God. I don't know. You're the guest. I know, I know. Well, or is that too much pressure? That's a lot of pressure. No. <laughs> Well, I mean, the biggest thing on my mind right now is just is the crazy world we live in. And, you know, with um, having Kendall and the baby being pregnant and wanting everything to be safe and healthy. So right. that's my biggest thing right now. But the other thing I got the news that she came home, though. I know. I know. That's, it's amazing. That's amazing. That's so great. Yeah. 
Um, you know, it's so funny because I think she had sort of settled in. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you have to get your brain ready yeah. for something. Like and and that. I think we we're all, that's what we're all doing is we're we're. And I had assumed that my work would just go straight into the dumper, and I am busier than ever. Really? Yeah, yeah. I have clients sort of coming out of the woodwork and new ones, and lots of people are wanting to, um, are just wanting support and help in terms of how to maintain a sense of resilience for themselves and for their employees and how to manage people, you know, needing to be laid off or furloughed. And, and then I have one client who's one of the best clients I've ever worked with who, you know, a lot of people would say, we can't afford this right now. He's the one that says we can't not afford it right now. You know, That's we need all the help we can get. Um, do you want to give a little, a little summary of what you do? Um, what do I do? That's a really good question. Let's see. <laughs> um, um, I work with individuals and organizations, um, and the focus is really around being as effective and as resilient as possible. So I work with leadership teams and with entire organizations and with individuals and um, I think the beauty is sort of the older I've gotten, you know, I keep joking that that I feel like I'm I'm better at it than I've ever been because, well, for two reasons. One is, you know, I'm not like a neurosurgeon whose eyesight is failing. So there's right. really nothing, as long as my, my mind remains relatively sharp. Um, the other is that, you know, I joke a lot that I, I wasn't allotted a full portion of bullshit tolerance to begin with okay. and a little bit that I had has decreased in direct proportion with my estrogen and I have very little of either left um, so, okay. so but that's not something you really want bullshit tolerance no and it's like I've never ever thought that I was right about many things but i will at least be honest and what do you mean you never thought you were right well i don't feel like there's necessarily a right answer to most things i think everything is pretty fluid and gray and there are a lot of possible ways to approach something there are a lot of um ways to do almost anything i mean i i have you know that being said also decided that i'm a closed-minded liberal and happy to own that but but i don't suggest that i can come in and and consult and suggest people do something a very specific way but i'm i'm just more honest about my perspective owning it as only my perspective but i'm finding more and more that people really appreciate that Um, and they appreciate deeper more honest conversations and less bullshit. Definitely. So that is just where my work is headed. And and it's so interesting to me because people, um, I'm building deep, profound friendships with these clients too. So, you know, there are people that I've worked, you know, I've worked 
with Herman Miller as an organization for 20 years. And I've worked wow. with a lot of the individual dealers for almost that long. So, so these are people I know well. And so there's not a whole lot of spin up when we decide to work together. We can sort of jump right back in and get to work. Um, That's cool. So, yeah, I mean, basically on, on my website, and it, it is, it's something I hold really true, and that is that I, I want to work with people who are serious about what they say they want to accomplish because I'm just, you know, too fucking old to be anybody's check the box. And <laughs> I'm, I want to work in a place where I feel like I can make a contribution. And if I think someone else can do it better, then I'll tell you who they are and I'll get you in touch with them. And I want to be able to have fun. You know, and I'm not kidding about that. I mean, it, I think that there, everything is taken, much is taken too seriously these days. And um, that's for sure. Yeah. So that's what I do. Does that make any well, sense at all? It does. I mean, I'm curious to know in in times when there is no crisis, what is, how do you what's the resiliency focus? Like how how is it how is that approached when there is ostensibly nothing wrong? Well, the resiliency is is something that's just always been important and you know, you you know as you know, you've raised a child, you've worked while you raised a child, um, it's not easy. And even if you, <clears throat> you know, what I find is that clients um, array on a spectrum from sort of role collision at one end where they're trying to do so many things at once that they're stressed and they have no time to sort of process to the other extreme where especially now people who for whom work is their primary social contact um, and don't have a lot of external relationships in all times most especially these times you know start feeling like tom hanks with no wilson you know right. they all they have is time to ruminate and create stories and stress themselves so this idea of resilience is is foundational regardless of our circumstances personally or socially. Right. That's, that's true. Um, so have you been, I mean, that's been something that I noticed right away with this Corona situation is that people who are used to going into the office and getting a lot of their social engagement there are kind of, they've kind of started freaking out immediately. Like, what, what do I do? Right. How do I, you know? Um, so what would you, how do you coach someone like that? What do you have to offer right now? Because they, they can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, the process, I mean, I, the process I talk about is to zoom out and zoom in. Um, so zooming in is getting clear on how you're feeling and really owning that. Um, and, and I just, I have a ton of respect for that, um, entry, that the introduction you did to the, to the podcast when you said you'd been away and why, I mean, that's zooming in, that's being real about what's happening 
for you in your life. And then it's a question of zooming out and zooming out to those people that provide support to you and asking for it. And in this case, it's literally using Zoom. You know, I have a a group of women that I get together with monthly. There are six of us and we're getting together weekly. We, every Monday night, we have a glass of wine together. So starting to set up those kinds of connections um, are absolutely way better than nothing. And then the other thing is, even here where we're in under complete shelter in place, you know, I go for a long walk every day. And, nice. and, you know, you know that from all the walking you've done, what, how that does get you more grounded and connected. Um, Have you found, I mean, you might be out enough in the sticks that you don't run into other people, but when I walk around here, I find myself getting tense because I'm, I feel like I have to be on guard and avoiding other people most of the time until I get to some sort of clearing where I can stay. We're, we're, um, I run into people all the time and we just, you know, if we're on the sidewalk, somebody moves to the street and we pass, you know, 10 feet away. But every time it happens, people are, you know, hi, how are you doing? And, you know, so there's a sense of connection. Um, the other thing that we're doing in our neighborhood, which is which is really kind of fun, the woman that lives behind us is the one who heard about it somewhere else, but we've been doing it now for a month. Um, every night at 8, from 8 to 8.02, we all go outside, um, all up and down the street, and people ring bells or bang pots and pans and just check in on each other and make sure that the people who are living alone have what they need. And, um, you know, it's literally two minutes and then everyone goes back inside. That's really cool. I've seen, I've seen, I've seen video of that from maybe from your neighborhood, but from a bunch of places. I put it on Facebook and we did a a radio spot and the TV cameras came out. I thought this is not this big a deal in terms of creativity, but man, it really, and I'll tell you. In terms of community, it's a big deal. It's huge. And I mean, so many, two or three nights a week, I'll be sitting here at 745 going, oh God, I don't want to, I don't want to go out and do it. You know, I'm just going to sit here and finish watching this TV show or sending this email. And I go every night and every night I come back feeling replenished and just grateful. So that's awesome. It's It's like a little mini therapy session. It is. Yeah, it is. And it's, so those are the kinds of things I'm going to be working with clients next week around designing resilience plans. So what's your plan going to be? How do you get, you know, how are you going to do it? Yeah. What what would you write? I mean, I live in a city that whose heart has been broken, uh, you know, according to lots of the people who have been here a long time. And there's like this level of detachment and coldness and entitlement. And we don't have anything like that. Like when I, when we pass people on the street, my experience lately has been that people like avert their eyes and don't, not everyone, some people say hi and wave, but a lot of people, the social, the so-called social distancing has created this sort of almost animosity, but, or at least wariness. Yeah. 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 I I think that's the case many places. Um, 
and it's is that just a big city thing you think because it because smaller communities tend to be able to stay engaged with each other you know they were singing from the balconies in italy i mean i think that some of it is just getting it started and and be putting yourself out there um you know being the first one to say hello even i mean i don't wait for someone to look at me <laughs> but that's <Yeah>. me, you know <laughs> you say hi from 100 feet away yeah i, I mean it's maybe not 100 but you know i get close yeah. enough to to be able to see their face and i'm like hello how are you doing um and and i you know some people are like fine and other people want to have want to chat a little bit, which is fine, and that's safe and and appropriate. But I do get what you mean about, you know, I I have spent, well, I don't know, I've flown like 1.8 million miles just on Delta, so I'm on, a, I've been on a plane a lot, and the thought of getting on a plane is is a little nerve wracking. Yeah, um, but you don't have to these days, right? Well, I'm going to want to meet this new little grandbaby when she's home. Well, that's for sure. You know, yeah. she's, she's not going to be here for a while, but um, I sure want to make her acquaintance as quickly as I can. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I wonder about that. Like the, cause there's so many people who just can't, you can't go see your family. You can't, I mean, I have friends whose parents have Alzheimer's and they yeah. can't be with them and they can't. Yeah even explain to them why they can't be with them. And it's just heartbreaking. Yeah. I, I, and I, and I also think about the people with kids who are trying to explain this to children and. Yeah. I think about that a lot. Uh, I, feel, I feel very fortunate that my girl is old enough to understand it, but, but it's still scary as hell. I mean, absolutely. it's still not something. No, it is. It is. It's, you know, it is, I'm amazed. Cause I mean, I have lived, I like all the Atkin women have uh, bred into me or genetically programmed just a massive amount of anxiety. That yeah. seems to be that <laughs> the, that should be, a, I don't know what the symbol would be on our family crest, but it ought to be there. Yeah. I don't think it's just the women. either. Well, that's true. Probably not. Um, but I do think that my daughters have, I mean, I, I worked very hard on, on trying to not pass that along. Um, and I think I, I might've done a pretty good job if I look at how my kids function, but I certainly have absorbed a lot. And for whatever bizarre reason, I'm not freaking out. I keep waiting. And I talked to a friend of mine who is a psychologist and she said, it's because you've had, you have had quite a bit of trauma in your life and, yeah. and trauma, people who successfully navigate trauma build skills that these times are made for. Um, right. And so I think some of it's that I think some of it is I have always been such a doer. I was always the one that, you know, I'm the, the Red Cross. I helicopter in, you know, whether it's family or friends with illness or whatever, I'm always the one on the spot. And there's just not a fucking thing I can do right now. I can't do anything. Right. And, and instead of feeling supercharged and anxious, I'm feeling some modicum of peace. It's really bizarre. 
I'm I'm in the same boat. I'm, uh, I'm yeah. I mean, I think I'm similar in the in my approach to. I, I generally just do better in a crisis. I just I know exactly what the priorities mm-hmm. are, and I and I can just put aside all all worry because it's just about doing what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. But if there isn't a crisis, then there's plenty of stuff to worry about and think. You know, you can ruminate all day long on on future anxieties and um but i don't yeah i'm not i'm not freaked out at all right now actually i'm just sad i'm sad for people yeah yeah Um, me too and 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 i feel disconnected i mean i feel like i there's i mean i was feeling that anyway and have been for a while but um i you know i spend a lot of time alone i don't i'm in my house most of the time as it is by myself and um so, which is fine. I'm, I do, I do okay with that generally speaking, but this has sort of, um, framed it in a new way that makes it, it doesn't feel permanent. It just feels like, you know, I was already behind. I was all, I already needed to do some catching up with my friends yeah. and now I feel like I'm way behind. Yeah. Um, but I am, you know, I'm reaching out and, when I can, I don't always have the the will. I don't always, I can't bring myself to make a phone call sometimes. Um, yeah. Which is something I need to work on, but uh, that's, yeah, this is, this has made it easier in some ways because there's, there's a definite reason. There's like a, you know, I don't need an excuse to call anyone. Everybody's hoping to connect a little bit more, but it's also just really easy to, to fall into my default of not, not being connected. You know what I do? Um, I have on, on the notes feature on my phone, I just have a running list of all the people I want to touch base with. Oh, that's a good and, idea. And when I feel like the urge to just reach out, I look at that list and see like sort of who lights up for me and that's who I call. That's cool. That's a good practice. Because at least it, it keeps me, it, it helps me be in touch um, you know, we're, Jim and I are here. And then a friend of mine is here too. She lives in a senior, um, apartment, you know, community and, um, came over right after we got back from California in March. And we, you know, when all this really started brewing and I just said to her, you know, if you go back there and there's an, a, an incident, you can't leave. Right. Um, and from what we're seeing now, so I just said, why don't, so she just moved in with us. So she's wow. here, for the, she's here for the duration. I just, you know, she has a fairly small one bedroom apartment and to have been in lockdown there, um, you know, she couldn't, I said, you can't go down to the laundry room. I mean, you, you shouldn't do that there. And right. now that we see, I'm just very grateful that, that we made that decision given how rampant it is through senior facilities of all kinds. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that's gotta be one of the hardest places to stop the spread. Um, Mm. Mm -hmm. And it's the most at risk. uh, The other place that's freaking me out. Cause I do, a, I have been a, um, a supporter and a participant with the Enneagram prison project for many years. And 
prisons are the other place that it's so scary right now. I, within the first couple of days, that was the first thing that came to mind for me. It was like, what, how is that going to happen? Like, they yeah. can't go anywhere. And they're no. stuck together no. side by side in yes. stacks. Yeah. And I mean, it just, I mean, our prison system is appalling and untenable anyway. Right. But this just amplifies that and shines a light on it in a much more powerful way. Right. And these are already the, the left behind. These are the people who aren't considered when talking about human rights and things like that, as well, it is. particularly given, you know, I mean, I live in Traverse City, Michigan, and, and there's this gloriously beautiful building that used to be the state hospital that's now sort of high-end condos and shops. And, you know... I every time I look at it, it 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 just the ghosts speak to me about where are the people who would have been there had we not gone through what was a well-meaning shutdown of those kind of facilities, and they're in prison. I mean, you know, the vast majority of people who would have been into some kind of institution right now are either homeless or in prison. Right, and we have no, we may, we didn't create anything within society to support those people, and so I look at that's the other place are the, you know, the homeless encampments where this could just wipe out so many people that that the current administration and many others just don't give a shit about, and it makes me crazy. Me too. Yeah, they're not even. I mean. They give so little of a shit that they they're not even discussed in my, you know. No, I mean they don't care about those of us that pay taxes. They sure as hell don't care about the people who right. who don't. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't get me started on that. I'll well, let's it. talk about the the Enneagram Prison Project. Oh, it's such a cool thing. So um, Susan Alessic in. Um, who lives in Los Gatos, not far from you, um, started it, oh my, how many years ago? Uh, seven, eight, ten, like that. Okay. Um, and she, as she, I mean, there's just, if you go to the Enneagram Prison Project website, there are just some amazingly powerful um heartbreaking and heartwarming stories. Um, but what she did is she started teaching the Enneagram in, in a prison in Texas. And, and she was so moved by, in that case, men who were so open and willing to figure out how they got there. Um, cool. and so she came back to California, which is where she lives and, um, started trying to get some classes going there. She now has, we've got dozens and dozens and dozens of, it's all volunteer, um, guides, we call them who go into prisons and offer a program that has now been expanded to include information on ACEs, which is, um, the assessment for adverse childhood experiences. And um, we also incorporate information 
and, and guidance and exercises around addiction, since the majority of people in prison have some kind of addiction. And the recidivism rate for the people who go through EPP's program is single digits low teens compared to 60 to 70% nationally. Wow. Um, judges are beginning to, when they sentence people, tell them to find that, find this program. Parole boards are uh, using it as, as an additional positive criteria to grant someone parole. Um, it's, it's just been an amazingly powerful program and, um, it's very, it's, uh, Many prisons in California, including the largest penitentiary, mental health penitentiary in San Diego and San Quentin, have programs. We do programs with lifers at San Quentin. I went to a symposium at San Quentin last summer with 150 um, inmates, many of whom are there for life. And it, it just powerful, powerful, powerful. Um, and I think it's part of what has helped <laughs> burn off the little bit of bullshit tolerance I had left. Because if I can watch somebody who's serving a life sentence do this deep self-exploration to figure out how did the journey lead to this, I don't have a lot of tolerance for like corporate executives who don't want to <laughs> who don't want to own their own shit. Totally. That's... Um, so I would love to get, I, I would, I need to get more um, folks really well steeped in the Enneagram. And then EPP has their own guide training um, to be able to bring it to Michigan. But that's my, that's my intention. So cool. The other thing that's so cool about it. So there's a, there's a chapter in Ohio, one in Minnesota, um, lots of, of globally, the Enneagram, one of the things that I love so much about the Enneagram is that it's culturally neutral. So there's a global community, um, of colleagues and almost the entire Belgian prison system is using it. So I've been in, led a facilitation class with a number of their guides and one of their senior wardens. Um, Italy is using it, uh, Denmark, where else? England. Um, we're so far behind. We're so far behind. You know, that this, this senior official in the prison system in Belgium talks about, you know, he said, our belief, as is all of the Scandinavian countries, is around restorative justice, not, not punishment. Uh, punishment. Right. Um, that's that's what it should be because you're yeah. not you're not fixing anything had... with punishment no no i mean I, when i was at michigan i wanted to when i was in college i wanted to study um criminal justice that was my and i i volunteered did volunteer work and then took independent study classes that i finagled with a professor to get credit for um, at Maxie Boy's home <laughs> outside of Ann Arbor, um, which was a um, maximum security juvenile facility. Wow. And um, 
was all all ready to roll in that direction. And then it's so funny. This is, you know, 19 would have been 1972. And the guy who was the head of it um, at the end of, I was there for two or three semesters. Um, but as we were talking about the next one, he was saying, you know, you're going to need to choose a different line of work. And I, I was just like crestfallen and said, you know, why? Well, I mean, I, is, am I doing something wrong? And he's like, no, 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 you're doing a really good job. But he goes, you're too pretty and you'll just be too much of a distraction if you try and go into a prison. <laughs> wow. And I thought, I, I, you know, I didn't have, I didn't have any other authority. Um, so, it, it, you know, I don't know that I felt all that pretty, but I sure thought he had to be right. And so for me, working with the Enneagram Prison Project is just sort of my own redemption story. Of, yeah. Um, you got to do it finally. Yeah. Yeah. I think we often can if we just stay the course. So can you can you give a somewhat brief overview of what the Enneagram is for those who don't know? Yeah, um, the Enneagram is a sort of a personality typology, but it's a it's a system. Um, people would compare it to DISC or Myers Briggs. the The big difference and the thing that makes it more richer and more valuable, from my perspective, is that um, DISC focuses primarily sort of on behavioral, how, how we view people. So are, are they dominant? Are they analytical? Um, which is certainly useful, no question. Myers-Briggs looks more at our processing preferences, introverted, extroverted, sensing, judging, those kinds of things, sort of neck up stuff. The Enneagram is a much more holistic system. And what it helps you understand is what's the underlying motivation that holds those behaviors in place. So we can monkey around with trying to change behavior, but if I understand what that underlying drive or passion is that makes me feel like I have to, for me in Enneagram 3, be doing and achieving all the time, um, it helps me then be able to loosen the grip on those behaviors and and make changes. Um, 
So for me, it is, it is the only um, system that has held my attention, and I have the attention span of a small child uh-huh. around most things. But the two things that inform the work I do the most now is all we're learning in neuroscience and how it, how it and the Enneagram play together, and, and that is what's most fascinating to me. So the Enneagram is, you know, understanding your style. I mean, I joke that it, it's, it's the ticket into the carnival, but it doesn't get you on any rides. Um, so understanding your style is important, but then you look at how dynamic the system is. And it helps me understand as a three where my portal into the system is. But then if I look at the dynamic nature of what happens to me under stress, where's my most accessible growth edge. Um, so it's just, it just, you can keep peeling the onion and you can, you know, a three or four hour session of understanding the styles is useful and you can study it for your whole life. So it's, the richness is so much more powerful than anything else I've ever found. That's cool. And so am I, isn't it the case that you, like you have sort of the main number that you fit into or you fit there better than any of the others, but then you also have, what are they called? Wings? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, So, so you have your primary style and, and I tend to call it a style instead of a type because type just feels permanent and style feels flexing. Um, right. It is, you know, folks will, some will argue you were born with it. Others will argue that you were born with a, a inclination toward a handful and then the way in which you were raised solidified it. You know, we're never going to know who cares. Um, <laughs> but you are what you were and what you will always be. So your, your style does not change. However, um, you're also influenced by what, as you mentioned, is a wing, which is a contiguous style. So, for instance, I'm a three with a really strong two wing. Um, Caitlin, okay. number one daughter, is a three with a strong four wing. So while we have the same underlying motivation, the way in which it expresses itself or is evident is flavored by our wings. So it's different. That's really interesting. Um, Can you give an example? Can you just say what the main characteristics of the three style are? Just to give an example of what. Yeah. Threes threes are about, um, they're sort of two versions, you know, it's, but it's, it's all about getting, getting shit done. I mean, it's um, accomplishing things, Um, showing up, uh, you know, threes will, their underlying drive is to, um, to, to accomplish something. We each have, we each have a, a striving or an underlying drive that worked for us at some point. You know, these, these, aspects of our personality did not, um, didn't manifest out of thin air. They were strategies that worked for us. They helped us feel safe, secure, loved, felt like the best plan we had as we were growing up. And, um, 
the best metaphor of that is a colleague of mine says, it's like you broke your arm when you were six and you never took the cast off. Um, So there's strategies that were useful and helpful at some point. Um, And so for me as a three, to get back to your question, um, as a three in my family, I, I got stuff done. I made stuff happen. I didn't, I wasn't, you know, I, I didn't have to be the center of attention. Um, but I was busy accomplishing because that's what felt like it would, you know, was the, the safest strategy for me. Do you think, was that motivated by approval seeking or something else? Or what, what do you think it was? Yeah, I think it's both. I think that, that my dad, I think Gramsci was a three, um, and he was my hero. And so I think that, that, that whatever three-ish tendencies I had were certainly amplified by him and the three, the United States is a pretty three-ish culture. Right. Very uh, driven to have achievements and credentials. You are what you accomplish, man. Um, Right. So what it's helped me do, and the other thing is that threes tend to, um, not be aware of and or deny their own emotions um, because, you know, emotions aren't aerodynamics. It's going to slow me down, man. I just want to get shit done. Right. Um, so for me, the growth path has been very much around orienting toward what am I feeling? What emotions exist for me? Is this something, you know, is, is, is what I'm I put together a process for myself called questions for overdoers. Uh-huh. Um, so it's like, do I have to do this thing that I'm feeling compelled to do? Do I need to do it right now? Um, should I be doing it or should someone else be logically doing it? Um, does it have to be done at all? What would happen if I didn't do it? And if I don't do it, how might I otherwise use that time and energy? Wow, that's great. That's a really cool. But I, but yeah, you have to sort of deconstruct it. Yeah. Um, and it's just been it. If there's anything that has been a country, well, that and probably I don't know four million dollars worth of therapy. Um, yeah. <laughs> in combination, have arrived right. helped me arrive at where I am today. <laughs> yeah. Therapy goes with lots of other things. It doesn't it? So, therapy goes with everything. I think. <laughs> fits with everything if you're doing it it does um so how does it like when two personalities don't click all that well is is your do you just immediately look to the numbers like if you if you see two people who seem at odds with each other do you just like are there numbers that that can't jive um, or just have a much harder time? No, it. It, it has much more to do with your sort of level of awareness and um, and growth. So if you're if you operate, I mean, when I when I work with corporate clients, I talk about three levels. Um, if we were if we were talking with psychologists, there would be many more. With the lowest level being really psychosis, but. Um, I talk about the fact that there are, you know, we all have um, non-functional days, 
you know, we, we all have days that are, that we're just not our best and we're unproductive, either our behavior or we are unproductive. Um, um, we have other times when we're pretty functional, which is sort of like a good day with no self-awareness. And then there are days when we're being really effective because we're aware of the impact we're having and we're, we're functioning out of presence rather than being asleep. And um, so what I find is that if you've got people who are at the same level of self-awareness, a high level of self-awareness, they're going to do better than any styles at a lower level. Um, but what I have had done I, dozens and dozens of times in organizations is been called in when two people, partners, you know, um, I've worked with, you know, people who own a dealership and the manufacturer, lots of different potential conflict situations. And when I, I, I try at the very beginning to figure out what their Enneagram style is. And then before I ask for any content at all, I will just say, okay, you're this and you're this. It's how it seems. And they agree with that. Here are the ways in which these two styles would typically drive each other crazy. So here are the friction points, um, the predictable friction points between these two styles. And every single time I have done that, bar none, they look at me and go, we don't even have to tell you the content. That's it. You <laughs> just described it. Um, so, so often we project onto content or a problem that which exists in our personality. So, you know, Jim, my husbandish, as I describe him, um, <laughs> he is an Enneagram nine with a really strong one wing. I'm a three with a two wing. So in common terms, that means he is sort of a linear perfectionist and I am a multitasking that's good enough. Okay. So we can drive each other nuts. Yeah, I bet. I mean, we can drive each other crazy. And with action points all over the place. No question. No, he is conflict averse. I'm let's talk about it now. Um, I mean, there, if we, if I didn't understand and he's beginning to understand more and more the language of the Enneagram, I don't know that we'd be together, Wow! Um, but I can, you know, he's an architect. I, he probably needs to be a linear perfectionist. It's yeah. what makes him so good at it. And I do what I do and, you know, that's what makes me good at what I do. So I, you know, we joke about we can either cross swords and conquer the world or we can kill each other. <laughs> Those are the options available. <laughs> right. Well, it's good to be able to see a, a path through that then. Because if you have that sense about the person you're with, but have no idea why, then you'd more likely than not be killing each other. Yeah. And it's just, it's so, so, so useful. And I, that, which certainly doesn't mean I always remember to use it. Doesn't mean that I don't have my moments because I do more often than I care to admit. Uh -huh. But it is a way for me to come back to. Um, it is just an, a powerful, powerful tool for compassion, um, both for yourself 
in catching yourself in the act and going, oh, gosh, there I go again. How am I going to how am I going to write this ship? And also compassion for others. You know, people don't typically get up in the morning and spend time trying to figure out how to piss me off. I mean, that's probably not what they're doing. Right. Doesn't mean they don't succeed, but it's probably not their intention. So being able to sort of get to the other side of that and, and letting people be who they are and still be willing to have conversations around compromise is, is pretty useful. and I'll, I'll zoom around the whole chart and then we can that. Okay. And I mean, Enneagram is Greek. Ennea means nine, gram means diagram. So that's the fancy thing. It's not people like, oh, Enneagram, what does that mean? Oh, nine pointed diagram. <laughs> yeah. Nothing sexy. Um, so ones typically strive, people would say they strive to be perfect in my experience, it's much more a function of striving not to be imperfect so that there's sort of that, that constant feeling that there's a right way to do something. It's not necessarily my way, but there's a right way. And, um, if you want to know how it feels to be a one sort of think about an, about, you know, the current political system or your feelings on abortion, or, you know, we don't necessarily embrace the other side we feel like our way is the right way um twos strive to be connected they're often called the helper i don't tend to use words to describe styles because i think you get caught up in the linguistics and it becomes mushy but they their vehicle for connection is just a very strong skill at empathizing with other people and having a sense of what they need. Um, you know, I think that, that, uh, it, it's sometimes appreciated, sometimes not, uh, but right. that's how they strive. Um, and if you want to know how you, how it feels to be a two, think about how you feel about G, you know, you would okay. do anything for her. Um, three strive, as we said, to accomplish things, to get things done. If you want to know how it feels to be a three, think about when you wake up in the morning to a project you're really pumped about and you just can't wait to get into it. Um, fours strive to be, uh, it's, if fours are so interesting, fours strive to be unique, creative, to express that kind of uniqueness into the world. Um, if, and, and fours have a much broader emotional bandwidth. So one of the, I think, misnomers, um, for, you know, 
relative to four is that they're overly emotional. And I would argue that the rest of us are underly emotional. Um, you know, fours are comfortable with a very broad range of emotion and are willing to express it and hear it from other people and not be upset by it. Um, fives. And if you want to know how it feels to be a fourth, think about how you feel when you're falling in love, you know, that, Oh my God, does he like me? Doesn't he, does she care what's going on? Fours can have that kind of sort of bounce around emotions. Um, fives strive to be detached which is so interesting because I've had fives go I don't agree with that and it's like really you don't think you're detached and it's like no 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 no. it's that I don't have to strive to do it I just am oh. <laughs> um, and fives are the classic introverts in that they recharge alone they have an extraordinarily rich interior life. So they keep themselves good company. Um, if you want to know how it feels like to be a five, who fives are always weighing that the exertion. Um, and so if you think about yourself at the end of a really long day, when someone comes up and asks you to do something and you're trying to sort of assess, do I have it in me to do this? Um, that can be pretty five-ish. Um, sixes strive for a sense of security and um, the often called doubting Thomases or devil's advocates. They're extraordinarily good at scenario planning. They're sort of what-if machines and, and often... Um, will often project, often look at the, the downside first. So they, they are good warriors, um, but also can be very, very strong, strong and loyal. Um, sevens strive for a sense of sort of adventure and distraction. Um, usually great senses of humor, um, light, fun, but avoid emotion. The way they deal with um, not addressing emotion is by projecting to the next fun thing they're going to do. I mean, if you want to know how it feels to be a seven, think about planning a vacation. Well, we could do this or we could do that. This would be fun. Let's do that. Um, but a lot of positive energy. Um, eights, people would say eights strive to control. In my experience, eights control in an effort to not be controlled. It's sort of preemptive. Mm. Um, and eights are really just very dichotomous in that they show up as assertive and expressive and owning their full stature and also are incredibly sentimental and, and loyal to those that they love. So there's a softness and a sweetness to an eight that often doesn't get seen. Um, and nines strive for a sense of peace, sort of why can't we all just get along? And they sort of forget themselves and their own desires in an effort to be inclusive of everyone else's. Nice. That's the quick tap dance. And, That's great. and That's really I would say I've been studying it for, I don't know, 15 years. And I feel like maybe I have a bachelor's degree in it. I mean, I've studied with <laughs> okay. every teacher I can find 
including a couple of one who was the ma- one of the major transmitters of it into the U.S. Um, and there's still more to learn. It's just it's extraordinary and fascinating. I mean, there's a spiritual component to it if you want to go in that direction. Um, and it's also used in schools and corporations and individuals. So it's it's pretty powerful and it's really exploding. Yeah, it does seem to be catching on. Mm-hmm. Indeed. So when you say you study it, does that mean you just you read books or you talk to other people who have been doing it longer or how like what's the what is the study? I have God. I've probably spent if I were to add up all the classes I've attended, um, I would probably say, I don't know, six months of face-to-face time with different teachers. Longer than wow. that. Longer than that. Um, I've attended and spoken at a number of the international conferences, probably a year of just face-to-face time. And that doesn't include the Skate 8 billion books that I've got. Um, right. But yeah, I, I'm in conversation about it a lot with colleagues. I attend um, conferences and trainings and, um, you know, it's not, it's not an easy system to learn quickly. And a lot of people misuse it because of that or give up on it because of that. Right. But there's a depth and a richness to it that is profound for me. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask if it, because it seems like you could sort of, especially for oneself, you could, you could interpret it to suit your own needs to a certain extent, but is there, is there a sing, a singular authority or any way to, to check that, to say like, no, you're using it wrong. You know, there isn't, I mean, it's, it's really open source. Um, there are, there are books that I think are, better than others. Um, you know, I studied with Claudio Naranjo, which is, which is, he's as close to either the father or the uncle of the Enneagram as you're going to get. Um, but his work has been, has evolved through other teachers. So yeah, there are certainly some, I think are way, way more legit than others. Um, but there isn't a single governing body. I mean, there's the International Enneagram Association, which, you know, we've got, professional guidelines and things like that. So if someone's affiliated with the IEA, they're typically pretty legit. Um, but there, that's probably not the only, the only way it's, it's hard to know. Um, there are, there are, there were sort of the initial group of teachers and we've got sort of a second generation of teachers now. Um, many of whom have a different take, slightly different take on it, but still really useful. Yeah, it seems like it would be. I mean, I, I like your the idea of using it for compassion, to build compassion for well, oneself. You know, in my mind, if, if you're not going to do something with knowing what your style is, then it's just a parlor game. Right. You know, and there's no, there. yeah, I mean, that's interesting and probably doesn't harm anyone. But, you know, the, my question is always, you know, it's, it's, it's not to be used as an excuse. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I've had a couple of people go, well, you know, I'm just an aide and, and people know that and that's how it is. And my question is always, yeah, and how's that working for you? Right. Um, 
Well, you said something about, I think it's the language of the Enneagram, that something about your growth, growth, your growth potential edge. Yeah. What's, growth edge. what's my growth edge? What is, what are the blind spots and limitations inherent in my style? And am I willing to do the work needed to address those? Cool. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's something, no matter what system you're using, that should be a question you're asking. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, no question. That's not that's not unique to the Enneagram. But but I do think that there are some people that hop from one to the other to the other trying to find one that that allows them to not have to look at that. Right. Well, that's what I get from, I guess, from mostly you hear people talking about Myers-Briggs with the because you have like four letters, right? Yeah. You, you wind up with four different yeah. things. And it seems like it's it's flexible enough that you could just sort of pick the ones that you know you want to define you rather than the ones that actually fit well and it and again for me it's like whenever anybody declares they're in anything and and it's like and therefore <laughs> you know yeah well how yeah. does that help inform provide you know for me i just have a shark mentality. It's like, I got to, you know, grow or die. If I'm not moving forward, then I'm not happy. And I, you know, thinking. yeah, I just, you know, that uh, there are many, many people that I hold dear in my life and that I know who are just perfectly happy with the way they are and don't understand why there is this need to you know, explore and learn more and grow and, you know, why things are good just the way they are. But are they perfectly happy or are they in denial of the things that they're unhappy about? Um, You know, like, who am I to say? But I just know that I don't have a whole lot in common with them. Yeah. You know, I, I, it's how, it's how you end up with ex-husbands, I think, but. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah. and and you know god i'm jealous there's a part of me that that would love to just say this definition of my life is whole and complete and i don't want anything else and i don't need more friends and i don't need to learn more about other kind of people and i can just be happy with this i, I mean i'm i'm a little envious some days now most days I'm eager to crack the next book or meet the next new person or travel to the next school country. But, um, yeah, I think probably the envy is just around the, the state of mind that you imagine a person like that to have, like if, you know, if they've actually found some, some peace or some contentment with where they are without the desire to go forward. But to me, because I have that thought too. Like I wish I were, you know, I wish I cared less sometimes. Right. I know, isn't uh, it? But I don't actually, because that doesn't satisfy me or enrich my life. And it's to, not, it's not who either of us are. Right. And, it's not really possible to even imagine no, it. No. So. And so again, the Enneagram is one tool that has helped me really own me and be accountable for me the good, the bad, and the ugly of me, and to to always want to see how do I, how do I become 
you know, better person, more authentic, more honest, more available, you know, and use that whatever time I have left in, in a constructive, productive way. I mean, it's why I'm still working at 68 and will probably work forever. I just, you know, I have, yeah. I have a lot of friends who go to Mexico or wherever. I mean, I just can't, I just, oh God, the idea of going to Florida and you know, like standing in a swimming pool drinking for four months in the winter. No, thank you. Right. You know, so I suspect I'll always, you know, as long as I can, um, you know. So do you, in being a three, do you, do you embrace your sort of need to accomplish or does that ever feel like, does it ever, does it ever bother you? Just like, oh, I wish I could hang it up or, or just stop. I'm getting better about. at it. I'm getting better at it. I'm getting better at like, you know, using the force for good, Luke. Um, right. <laughs> and, and not, you know, it's, it's the, one of the best gifts I've gotten um, in the, just recently is I figured I needed a therapeutic tune up. So I found this guy in Traverse city and I talked to him. I only saw him three or four times. And I just said, I, you know, I want to feel, more grounded and and after a couple sessions he goes you know i'm sorry but you seem like really grounded to me and i said maybe i'm grounded but i don't feel centered and then we got into this whole thing around mindfulness and the difference between um mindfulness you know mindful presence mindfulness doing and driven doing And it was such a useful distinction. So for me, when I feel the compulsion to do, I need to check in and say, is this more mindful doing or is this driven doing? And it's been just such a useful distinction to be able to cut out the driven doing and, and really be able to enjoy and savor the more mindful present doing. So to be able to diagnose different <laughs> different types of doing has helped helped calm my three beast. Right. And do you do you feel when you're not doing, do you feel inadequate or like like what what's the emotional contingent of that? No, it's probably like, why I'm I do so much freaking needlepoint because that's what I do. <laughs> you have to be. <laughs> actively i'm actively moving. not doing anything right now watch me right yeah <laughs> look at my hands moving yes. Non-stop. Yes. <laughs> well that's i mean but it's it's actually a pretty brilliant way to to turn it because it's constantly productive and constructive without being you know without their needing i guess you're you're still producing like there is a there is a product every time. Yeah, but it's not, I, I'm not. But that's obsessed. not what you're really yeah, thinking about. Yeah, yeah, um, I no, mean, do no. I just sort of sit quietly? I mean, I, you know, I have a sort of micro meditation practice, I'd say. Yeah. Um, but one of the gifts of this whole COVID-19 thing is I walk every day now. And I didn't used to take the time to do that. And so for me, it's more of a walking meditation. And that feels I can get settled by doing that. Yeah. I don't think I'm ever going to be a big, a, a, a long-term cushion sitter. 
Right. You think you'll keep up the walking practice once we're allowed to go back to our normal lives? Boy, that is sure my intention. So will you check back and keep me honest on that? I'll try to remember, yeah. I would appreciate it. I need to set up all my contingencies. Right. Um, Yeah, well, I think everybody's thinking that, like, whatever it is that they're doing right now to stay sane and healthy, are they going to remember to keep that in the arsenal? Well, and that's why I'm, you know, working with this one client in particular and all of his 90 employees on building resilience plans because... And it's like, do it with your family, do it with your friends, be held accountable for the things that you know you found that have helped you here. And, you know, God, make this, you know, I've, I've never believed things happen for a reason, but I have believed we can learn from everything that happens. And if we're not learning from this individually and nationally and globally, then shame on us. Right. It's certainly a big opportunity. Oh, for... God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, know. I hope we I hope we don't waste it. I know. I know. I mean, and we've given the earth a little time to breathe at that part has been an upside. I mean, I know I, I know I can slip into my little Mary sunshine, but um, I got to find some goodness in it. And yeah, and that's a huge one. That's a, that's a huge benefit of this whole thing yeah yeah and and i sort of see it the other way that the earth we didn't give the earth a chance to breathe the the earth took it took a chance it took its you know rightful i saw one post somewhere that i loved that said this whole thing this whole thing is the earth to earth sending us to our room and saying think about what you've done yeah (laughs) yeah that's that's a good one it is yeah and there have been others that say we we are the virus Yes. Yeah. Well, we are. We're certainly the transmitters of it. Yeah, but we're the we're doing more harm than we know um, most of the time. So it's good to take a step back and look at that. Well, particularly because you know, I think about you know your daughter and her future and my grandkids, and it's like I want, I don't want to leave this a worse place. You know. I think it's one of yeah. the things getting to my age where I start you start do start thinking about what is the legacy intended or otherwise. And um it's why I'm gonna work like a maniac on this campaign cycle. Um you know, it's That's good. we gotta we gotta make a few changes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, just a few just, few minor changes. Just a couple. Just a couple. Right. <laughs> um well, I'm looking at the time, and we have a we have a birthday celebration I know, coming up. I'm pretty excited about that. Zoom Zoom style. Yeah. So, uh, so maybe we should wrap up. All right, buddy. Well, thanks so much for talking. I really appreciate it. Any time, any time. If we want to dig deeper into any of this stuff, I'd be more than happy to. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Uh, I, All right. Well, I love you lots. I love you, buddy. And I'll see you, what, in 10 minutes. (laughs) Okay. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye.
Thanks for listening, everybody. That was my Aunt Valerie. I hope you enjoyed meeting another member of my family. Uh, and thank you, Val. Uh, well, I don't have too much to say this time other than that I like you. I think you're great. Um, I think you're one of the best. You're at least one of the top seven billion best. Uh, I can say that with confidence. You might even be in the top six billion. Who knows? But um, it's not a competition. We're all earthlings. So um, let's be good to one another, I think. I think that's a good way to go. Seems to work better than the other ways. Um, I hope everybody is staying sane. It sounds like I might be losing it a little bit. But uh, I'm hanging in. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I hope you keep coming back and listening. And as per usual, I send you my love, uh, my gratitude for your support in whatever way you choose to show it. Uh, If you choose to go to patreon.com slash outspokenpodcast and show it there, that would be pretty cool. And I want to thank all the people who have done so already. I truly, truly appreciate it. Uh, All right. I love you all. Be good. Take care. Go for a walk. Don't talk to yourself too much. Or do talk to yourself too much. That's what I'm doing. All right. See you next week. Bye.